We've been reminded again and again in the book of Revelation that we live in a pretty broken, twisted world. And all of the, all of the ills and the sorrows that we experience, some of them, as we've seen already in Revelation, some of them are specifically because we are Christian believers. And because we're Christian believers, that does not make us immune to all the troubles and trials and difficulties that are common to all people in this world. We're seeing that ourselves right now, aren't we? But remember, we, we saw the Lord Jesus Christ. He's amongst his churches and he rides out from heaven conquering and to conquer. And he's active and he's moving in his world. Now the pictures that John has been given by the Lord Jesus Christ in this revelation, as we've seen, the different types of pictures, but they're all really providing the same message. It's being reinforced again and again. That we can expect as Christians to have all kinds of troubles and persecutions and opposition in this world. Because the world rises up against God. The world rises up against the church. The world very especially rises up against the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The world is quite happy to talk about spiritual things and the world is usually quite happy to talk about God in general. Start to talk to them about Christ and they realise that things are getting very tricky because there are, there are very specific truths connected with Christ that start to narrow down the conversation considerably. They don't like that. Well, in chapters... 17 and 18 of Revelation, if you just want to have that open in front of you, these same general themes continue, continue in a slightly different way, but some, with some great similarities. And as I've said previously, our concern in this series is not to go through all the fine detail with a fine tooth comb, but to make sure that we understand the main message of this revelation. And in chapter 17, the two main things that we are confronted with is uh, a woman who is described as a great harlot sitting on many waters in verse 1. And it says that uh, the kings of the earth commit fornication with her. The inhabitants of the earth are made drunk with her wine. Um, she's sitting on a scarlet beast full of names of blasphemy. And the description of the beast is just like the, the beast of the sea that we've already encountered in chapter 13. So this isn't something new, something that's already been mentioned, but he's just bringing our attention to some new things. And this woman is described as a, a harlot, which, to put it bluntly, yes, it's a prostitute. And the idea is of one who is enticing alluring and the beast that's mentioned again with its seven heads and ten horns as we've already seen this symbolizes the many forms and the many guises that the anti-christian anti-god world will take against the things of god the essence of it is always the same 
Its methods will change. Its messages will change. But the essence of it is always the same. And all through the earth's history, since Christ went back to be in glory, governments, nations, institutions, establishments are all acting and speaking against the things of God and the things of Christ and his church. <clears throat> and the introduction of this woman who's described as a harlot shows us there that it's symbolic of that which entices to immorality, uh, that which entices people to move away from God and to leave God out of the equation and to leave God far behind because these other things that are being presented to us seem so much better, so much more alluring than the things that are offered over, over on this side. And that's the picture that we have here of this, this woman riding on the beast. The name of Babylon is mentioned. Babylon appears quite a lot. And of course Babylon is mentioned because it's symbolic. It's symbolic by using the picture of ancient Babylon that we read about in the Old Testament. The Babylon of King Nebuchadnezzar. The Babylon which was the great empire of its day. The Babylon which ravaged Jerusalem, slaughtering many and taking many more off into captivity. And the name of Babylon is symbolic of all of those things. One who is a great power waging war against God and against his people. And to quite a dramatic effect, it would seem. Uh, what a picture it is that's painted in chapter 17 with this harlot riding on top of the beast, making it all so attractive. Great picture, startling picture, it's a frightening picture in many ways. And don't we see it all around us today? Don't we see immorality being portrayed as something which is good? Don't we see all the things that are happening in the world around us today and that people are just being drawn to it? People are not fighting wars over these things. People are being attracted to them. The whole of society has swallowed the philosophy of equality, same-sex marriage, transgender issues, evolution, abortion and all the rest. They're all just being enticed along. And it seems just it's become a tide that nothing and no one can stop. Well, that's the kind of picture that Revelation 17 is painting. This enticing, alluring beast that's just drawing seemingly the whole world after it and away from the things of God. We've got the wonderful graphics and the matter-of-fact way in which theories are presented as facts on our wildlife programmes and the, the honeydew words of David Attenborough and Brian Cox are just absorbed by everybody. Oh, this is wonderful. That's what's pictured here. That's, that's how people will react. The word of God tells us that's what you're expected. That's how people will be. And that's what we see happening in the world. Eloquent speakers prating their messages 
as if it's all so obvious. How could you be so stupid not to agree with me? And the world does. An image that came to my mind was the child catcher in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. What a terrifying image for kids. I know some adults who are frightened of the child catcher in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Do you remember? That child catcher means no good for those children. But what does he do? He entices. Children, lollipops. He doesn't go in. Because he knows the kids will all just run away and hide. What does, he makes it enticing. He lures them out. Come and see what I've got. What was the guy who played it? I forget now. But he was a ballet dancer, wasn't he? Great. The child, that's it, you see. That's what Satan does. That's exactly the ploy that Satan uses. That really is what's being described here in chapter 17 of Revelation. One who, who entices and allures. Oh, look at this. It's so wonderful. It's anything but wonderful. But the world just swallows it, hook, line and sinker. That's what's being described here. There's a few things, though, that we need to notice. Verse 8 of Revelation 17. The beast that you saw was and is not. The beast was and is not. Every time one of these manifestations of the beast arises, it's always only temporary and it's soon gone. It's never lasting, never. It never lasts. Talks about Babylon. Where's Babylon now? Now Babylon the city is still there, it's over in Iraq. But it's not the great empire it used to be. It hasn't been for thousands of years and it never will be again. Temporary and passing away. Each manifestation. But there will be many of these things all through the history of the church. All through the age of the church. We can expect wave after wave after wave of all of these things again and again. But here's another great encouragement. Down verse 13. These are of one mind and they... They will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the lamb. And the lamb will overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those who are with him are called, chosen and faithful. If you're a Christian, you will endure through this. Because you've, you're with Christ. And at the end of verse 8. Those who dwell on the earth will marvel. Whose names are not written in the book of life. You see if your name is written in the book of life. You're safe from all of these things. We've seen previously it's talked about, it's talked about God's people being sealed. Protected. Preserved. You are sealed and protected and preserved in the midst of all of these things. That's the great promise of this book. It's the great promise of Christ to his church. So it's really chapter 17, just a, a, a repetition of all that's gone before, uh, and just adds some extra weight and import to it. And then in chapter 18, all of these things 
come to an end. They're all destroyed. Uh, and, and that's what it's talking about really. Look at verse 5. For her sins have reached to heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. It's all being stored up in heaven. Everything. God has not missed a single thing that's happening in his world to his people. Nothing's been missed. Nothing's been overlooked. Every single act against the Lord's people and against Christ and against the glory of God and against the church, every single one of those things is going to receive its just reward from Christ. Every single one of them. And it's all, being going, to, it's all going to come to an end. God will remove them in his great judgment, just like we saw with those bowls of wrath that were being poured out. And there'll be places, you know, where all of these things do, they really do come to an end. Just to remind you of the the temporary nature of these things and how things can move and change so quickly and that Christ is able to actually bring all of these things to nothing. In a few weeks' time, well, just over a month's time, uh, we'll have Trevor Baker with us once again on a Wednesday evening talking about the work in Albania. Now, not not too long ago, Albania once officially was an atheistic country. The official position of that country under its government was there is no God. Now, how many of its citizens actually really went along with that? Who knows? But that was the official stance of the country. And yet for the last 15 years, we've had Trevor coming along telling us about how the gospel is spreading in Albania. And churches are planted. And Christians can openly profess their faith and preach the gospel. Isn't that wonderful? Because it was once under the dominion of this great beast. But it isn't now. It's all come to an end there compared to how it used to be. And in chapter 18, we find the earth mourning God's victory over all of these things. Uh, Verse 9, for example, the kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament when they see the smoke of her burning. All the things that they lived for, all the earthly treasures that they were storing up, all coming to nothing. God is going to bring it all to nothing in this world. If you store up treasures on earth of any kind, they'll all be lost one day. God will remove it all. And all of these people who think that they're in this great position of power, that they think they're on the winning side, the day is coming when they're going to have a great downfall and God is going to strip everything away from them. And they'll be left with nothing. Left with nothing. So as the end of all of these things comes, the world laments as it all comes crashing down. But heaven rejoices from verse 20. Heaven is rejoicing. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets. For God has avenged you on her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone, threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found any more. And there's great rejoicing in heaven 
because God triumphs over all of this. Of course he does. Now, of course, the message up to now has been over and over again throughout the history of the church, these things will be happening. They'll be happening repeatedly. They'll be happening in different ways and in different forms. But the book of Revelation in all of these chapters has been reminding us that there will be a day when God finally moves in judgment and all of these things will come to a close and things will actually move on from there because Christ is going to return and things really then are going to change in the most remarkable way. And as we get towards the end of Revelation now, you see there's only a few chapters to go. We're moving into that time now when this revelation is going to show us what will happen that day when Christ returns. What will happen when all of this sinful world is brought under God's judgment and condemnation and when it's all dealt with by God. And for those of us who are Christians, what then? Well, what wonders lie in store for us? Christ's revelation here is beginning to move now to his great climax as Christ is going to return. And it's all pictured in chapter 19. We read there, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honour and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. She's the one who's described as being drunk on the blood of Christians. As if the thing that she intoxicates herself on is the blood of martyred saints. That's back in chapter 17. But God is going to move every drop of blood of the saints that's been shed. God is going to bring judgment. Righteous judgment will be brought. Verse 4 of chapter 19, the 24 elders, the four living creatures, they fall down, they worship God. Verse 5, then a, th a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. We're going to see the victory of Christ over all of these things. Let us be glad, verse 7, and rejoice. Give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his wife has made herself ready. Well, I hope you have, because that's you. If you're a Christian, are you making yourself ready? The wedding's around the corner. To her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, we're going to be presented to our Saviour pure and holy. All sin dealt with and done away with. Verse 9, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. These are the true sayings of God. Verse 11, I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse 
Hang on, we've seen a white horse before. Remember? Chapter 6. Christ riding out, conquering and to conquer. Here he is. The white horse, he who sat on him was called faithful and true. That can only be Christ. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. Sorry, jump to verse. In righteousness he judges, makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. Clothed with a robe, dipped in blood. He's the lamb slain for his people. And his name is called the Word of God. And so the chapter goes on, this great return of Christ. Verse 16, he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And the whole world is going to see that that is true. Everyone that's ever turned their back on him is going to see that that is true. Everyone who's ever rejected him is going to see that this is true, that this Jesus really is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There is not a single human tongue that will not be able to stop itself from confessing He is Lord. They might not do it as a saved believer. They might do it as a condemned sinner. But they'll know that Christ is Lord. An angel standing in the sun... Wow, now there's an image. An angel standing in the sun. Who can look at that? Saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God. And he's talking there about the great condemnation and destruction that's going to come across all of these people, eating the flesh of kings and captains, mighty men, horses, those who sit on them. The great judgment and condemnation that's going to fall upon ungodly men and women. Verse 20, the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who works signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. See, these are all things that we've seen as we've gone through the chapters. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. Now there's a judgment. There's a condemnation. The rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. All the birds were filled with their flesh. So you've got this twofold image coming in chapter 19 now. You've got all of Christ's redeemed people and they are all being swept into this glorious wedding reception. And the whole church of Christ is the glorious bride of Christ. And we're going to be with him. There's a great marriage feast awaiting us. But at the same time, Christ comes and he moves against everyone who has ever rejected him and bring great judgment upon all. We see the glorious love that Christ has for his church. She is his pure bride. What a marvellous picture that is. What a privilege that we have and the victorious power that Christ will display when he finally moves to bring judgment against all who have been at war with him. Things are now coming to an end. There's more yet to, to see, but 
this is the big picture that the revelation brings. Now, in closing this evening, what's with this marriage feast? What's with this wedding supper? Well, we read a parable in Matthew 22 that Jesus told. A king preparing a great feast and inviting people in. And the vast majority who were invited did not want to know. You see how it links into Revelation? And what do we read there? Well, those people who'd been invited seized the messengers who were coming with the good news and killed them. Well, that's what we've been reading about in Revelation as well. When the king heard about it, he was furious. What does he do? He sends out his armies and he destroys those who've killed his messengers. That's what we've been reading about in Revelation. You see the harmony of the scriptures? Shouldn't surprise us because this Jesus who's speaking this parable is the same Jesus who, who gave John the revelation. Of course it is. And the wedding is made ready and out go the servants. They go into all the highways and byways and they gather people in. And they gather people in. And the king looks around the wedding feast and he sees one man. Could have been a woman. He sees one man. He's not wearing the right clothes. This man has not been robed with the robes of righteousness which are found only in Christ Jesus. This man has not been clothed with the robes that Christ gives to each one who comes to him in repentance and faith. This one has tried to sneak in. The king sees him. He doesn't belong here. Get rid of him. You see, there's only one right way that you can get into that feast. And that is to be clothed with the right clothes. And those clothes are not clothes of your own. We're told in the Bible that our clothes are as filthy rags before God. The best of our deeds are as filthy rags before God. We need to be reclothed with a righteousness which is not of our own making, a righteousness which is not of our own doing, the perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is placed upon everyone who will come as a sinner to him in repentance and confession and turn to him as Saviour and Lord. And he will clothe you in his perfect robes of righteousness. He will make you fit for heaven. And you will be one of those whose names are written in the book of life that we read about. And God will keep you and preserve you through all the trials and troubles of this world. Until one day he takes you to be with himself in glory. And here is the great promise and assurance that we have. That on this great and final day, when Christ starts to draw to a close this world as we know it, everyone who is in Christ will be there at that great wedding feast. And there we will, be, we will be received as Christ's pure bride. And this is why 
even faced with the death recently of a loved one, we do not sorrow as those who have no hope. Because we know that at that great feast, there's a place set with a name card. Chris Wilcox's name's on it. Is yours 